0: In 1277, Licoricia of Winchester was found stabbed to death in her home with her maid. She was a successful businessperson and arguably the richest woman in England. She was also a wife and a mother and a member of the Jewish community. What can Licoricia's life and death tell us about the history of medieval Jewish women? Find out today on Footnoting History. Hello, Footnoting History friends. It's Kristen. And today I've got a murder mystery for you from medieval England, a place near and dear to my heart and featuring a community that I have a personal affinity for. Remember that if you'd like a captioned version of this episode, you can find it on our YouTube channel. Please like and subscribe if you haven't already. And if you would like to support the work we do here at Footnoting History, you can become a Patreon supporter or give a one-time donation through Ko-Fi through the links on footnotinghistory.com. All the cool nerds are doing it, and we are so appreciative of any support you can give. I wish I could tell you many more definitive details about Licoricia Winchester than I'm about to. There is a lot that historians know about Jewish life for women in medieval England that can be used to provide contextualization for Licoricia, but there are few definitive statements that we can make, including... Basic stuff, like her exact birthday, or how many children she had. That's a common situation for medieval European historians, especially those who deal with religious minorities or women. And, not gonna lie, it can be really frustrating, but it does force you to work in creative ways. And it does make for a really good murder mystery. To set the scene, it was a dark and stormy night. Actually, no. It was a spring afternoon in 1277 in the city of Winchester, England. We do know that. When Licoricia was found lying stabbed to death on the floor of her house with her maid, Alice. Licoricia's daughter, Belia, found them. This is the only time that Belia is mentioned in the source material. And but for this tragic instance, we may never have heard about her at all. Licoricia did have a few other children that we know of. Three sons named Isaac, also called Cockrell. Benedict and Lombard from her first marriage, and Belia was their sister. And then there was a fourth son from her second marriage. A boy named Asser, who was generally known as Sweet Man. I know. And I'm not kidding. And yes, I did laugh. The nickname may have been related to Licoricia's own name, which could refer to a type of sweet dessert. It was kind of fashionable in the 13th century for women to have names like this. Saffronia or Almanda were popular choices. But Licoricia's name was unusual and, you know, maybe Asser was just a really cute baby. Licoricia's first husband was a man named Abraham of Kent in Winchester. And he first shows up in the records in 1225 when he was accused with five other men, of killing a Christian child. Yeah, guys, this was very much a thing that happened to Jews in medieval Europe and early modern Europe. And I'm sad to report the modern world. Historians refer to this phenomenon, which I want to be clear, is very much based in fantasy and fear and ignorance and intolerance rather than reality as ritual murder. And ritual murder gets its start in 12th century England in the town of Norwich. Thank you so much, Thomas of Monmouth, who was a monk at the Norwich Cathedral, who wrote a hagiography about a young boy named William of Norwich who was killed, air quotes guys, by a cabal of Jews on the order of a larger cabal of Jews in France in a nefarious ritualistic manner that echoes the passion narratives in the Christian gospels. William of Norwich is the first such instance of this in medieval Europe, but the idea of ritual murder being committed by Jewish people took off. Needless to say, the history of ritual murder accusations could be its own episode. It is, in fact, the subject of many academic works, so please head to the further reading for this episode for a few suggestions. And if you're interested in learning more, let me know in the comments or on social media poor Abraham, Licorice's first husband, was a victim of the ritual murder nonsense that captivated medieval Christian Europe. We don't know for sure what happened to him, though. Of the other four accused, three were found innocent, and another was found guilty, but seems to have survived, either because he was pardoned or because he bribed someone. No Abraham of Kent and Winchester appears in later records, but there was also no record of him being executed either. If Abraham did not survive this accusation, then he and Licoricia were married and had kids sometime before 1225. We can't say how old she was at the time. Whenever she was married by 1234, Licoricia is being described as a widow in the sources. Some of the modern source material that you see on Licoricia assumes that she inherited Abraham's business and assets when he died. But if he had been executed, all of his assets would have been confiscated. And there is a good chance that many of the debts he'd been holding were either forgiven entirely by the king or the king allowed the debts to be paid off for a lesser amount, just, you know, to the king. So maybe the king was feeling generous that day, or maybe Abraham was not executed after all, or maybe Licoricia was doing her own business. Which brings us to another part of the story. Licorice and her family were in the money lending business. A lot of Jewish people were, meaning they lent money at interest because Christians were forbidden from loaning to other Christians at interest according to their religious laws. They could technically still lend, just not at profit, which isn't that great of a business model if you're the money lender. And the medieval economy needed loans to develop, so someone had to do it. In England, the way that things worked was that there were 27 designated cities where special chests called Archi were kept. Two Jews and two Christians, called chirographers, and a clerk, were responsible for recording all of the loans, which were called chirographs. Loans were written out twice and then cut into two parts. One part was put into the arca, that's singular for archai, and then locked up. The person providing the loan kept the other. When you repaid the loan, the process was similar, and they wrote down that the debt was resolved and who paid it. The first recorded Jewish loan in England is from 1130, which is probably around the time that the Jewish community started to really grow in England. Historians disagree about the number of Jewish people living in all of medieval England. Estimates range anywhere from 5,000 to 1,200. It is hard to arrive at a firm number when tax records are your main and best source, because not everyone makes it into those. In Winchester, there were probably about 200 Jews living in the city at any given time in the 13th century. And... It seems to have been one of the big centers for Jewish life in medieval England. Jewish people had a lot of occupations in the Middle Ages. Many were merchants. There were physicians. There were scribes or agents for the bigger moneylenders. People were also servants, attorneys, peddlers, and landlords. Landlords. We know that at least one person who converted to Christianity became a crossbowman. Jews tended not to be farmers so much by the Middle Ages, though. The emphasis on and the higher rates of literacy meant that Jewish people were in a better position for certain jobs. And so when feudal restrictions barred them from owning land or being allowed to rent land in medieval Europe, it mattered. but. They mostly weren't in the farming profession anyway at that point. And in Muslim-controlled areas where there were no restrictions on their jobs, Jews mostly weren't farming there either. We often hear about Jews in connection with moneylending, either because of modern expectations that led historians in that direction, or because some moneylenders were really rich and famous a few very successful Jewish moneylenders had some pretty ritzy clients. Medieval Jewish women did have to deal with many of the same gender expectations that other medieval women did, in that there was a large emphasis on their role as wives, mothers, and domestic care providers. And yes, medieval Jewish women were expected to be subservient to Jewish men. But much like all medieval women Jewish women did participate in all kinds of jobs and Licoricia was a money lender both before she was married it seems and well married and then later when widowed and she did pretty well King Henry III was a client of Licoricia's We first see Licoricia in the sources in 1230 she's a widow and she's providing a really huge loan to someone named Hugh Sanser Then Licoricea married for a second time in 1242 to David of Oxford. He was pretty good at what he did too. He had a stone house with stone vaults in the center of Oxford. And he and his businesses are in the records like a lot, like over 60 times. David also worked as a tax collector for the Jewish community. He decided how to allocate the overall sum assessed and he collected it, but He also represented Jewish people in the king's court. And he's one of the guys who mentions to the king in 1238, hey, you maybe want to look into that whole coin clipping thing. That's a problem. Coin clipping was the practice of filing the edges off of metal coins and then taking the shavings, melting them down, and selling the metal. It devalued the currency and undermined royal authority, and it was considered a very big deal. Lots of people, Jews and Christians alike, were accused of coin clipping in the 1270s. And lots of people ended up in prison for it. In total, 269 Jews were executed for coin clipping. Christians were numerically more of the accused, but Jews were by far the more executed group. And it was one of the final reasons behind the expulsion of the Jews from England in 1290. David couldn't have known how that was all going to go, though, in 1238. In 1238, he was doing pretty good, and he had his eye on the widow, Licoricia. Except he was already married to a woman named Muriel. So David got divorced. And yeah, in the medieval Jewish community, you could get divorced. It was not that common, but it was possible. Muriel fought the divorce, and she appealed to a Parisian bit dean or a rabbinical court. And David appealed to the English king, who did step in and told the English Jewish community that they had no business appealing to France, and that they couldn't forbid David from doing a dang thing. Medieval Jewish people were very much associated with the ruling classes, Especially the kings, who protected, or didn't protect, the Jews at their pleasure. Technically speaking, in England, Jewish people were considered royal property. Before Richard the Lionheart left on crusade in the late 12th century, he issued a charter that referred to the Jews of England as, quote, our property three times, and he really set the precedent. He was granting the Jewish people legal rights in his absence and saying to everyone else, don't mess with them, no, I really mean it, before he headed off. It was a pretty useless gesture on his part. There is a very famous massacre at York, and the king basically didn't do anything about it, and no one got in trouble. Stuff like that happens a lot in medieval Europe. Sometimes the efforts at protection worked, but they also don't. Licoricia and David were married for about two years, when David died suddenly in 1244. Licoricia was immediately taken to the Tower of London. Not because they thought she killed David, but because the estate was massive, and usually the king got a big cut of it when one of his Jews died. So Licoricia was taken into custody to prevent her or any other heirs from interfering, and taking anything they weren't supposed to, according to the law. She was released within the year. After the king took his cut, and David's best house in Oxford, which was then used as a residence to maintain Jews converted to Christianity, the king used the money to build a shrine for Edward the Confessor in Westminster Abbey. Licoricia was still the wealthiest woman in England after all this, and she went back to Winchester with her children, including baby Sweetman. I'm going to laugh every time I say that guy's name. That's just how it's going to be. Licoricia's house was on Shoemaker Street, also called Shorten Street, which was close to the castle and the cathedral. Locals called it Jewry Street because this was the Jewish neighborhood. Neighborhood, not ghetto. Those are different things. Today, the street is called Jewry Street 2, if you're looking for it. Licoricia was still killing it on The Business front, She was handling her own stuff and David's and traveling around and repping the Jewish community in court. And I just love her so much. I can't even pretend to be neutral about this. I think it's awesome. I imagine her as a cross between Meryl Streep's character in The Devil Wears Prada and Melanie Griffiths in Working Girl. And That just strikes me as about right. We have few details about Licorice's everyday life, but it is very likely that she was multilingual. She probably could read Hebrew and sign her name. The language of the royal court was Anglo-Norman, and most everyone else spoke Middle English, so she almost certainly understood those two. Legal cases were conducted in Latin and she was managing her own cases, so I feel confident saying she knew some Latin too. Judaism didn't have any impediment to women's literacy, and Licoricia's business made it necessary, so all that does check out. It's tough to say what kind of clothes Licoricia wore, We only have one illustration of an Anglo-Jewish woman from around this time, and it's a sketch caricature that also has little devils tormenting the Jews depicted, and of the woman you only see her head and shoulders, so not exactly true to real life. There are inventories of clothing that survive, and these talk about robes with velvet and furs and brocades and maybe this is clothing that people actually wore, or maybe it was confiscated as part of a debt collection. Could go either way. It does seem that Jews didn't dress too differently or look too different than the Christian English people because the church council, Lateran IV, felt it necessary to lay down some law about Jews and Muslims, wearing some distinctive piece of clothing, usually a hat or a badge sewn onto their clothing, that made it super obvious who they were. Some historians believe that England was the first to really enforce Lateran IV's sumptuary laws because English Jews had assimilated here the most, and they really wanted to be sure that no miscegenation was happening, which is church talk for sex with the wrong people. Licoricia was wealthy, so I'm going to assume that she dressed pretty well. She probably also had a room in her house devoted to business where her older sons and possibly a clerk or two worked. Maybe her house had a private mikveh, which is a ritual bath. There is no evidence for a public mikveh in the city of Winchester itself. But Licoricia's stepson, who was also named Benedict, had one at his house in London. And that one was excavated in 2002. So having a private mikvah was definitely a thing people with means could do. Licoricia also ate kosher food. There was actually a surplus of kosher food in Winchester, and it was sold to Christians at market. Winchester kept prohibiting it, but people kept buying it. In 1265 and 1266, there was another baron's war in England, and Jewish people, who were often associated with the king, were resented and targeted. In the 13th century, there is a rising tide of religious intolerance in England and I cannot recommend enough to you R.I. Moore's book, The Formation of a Persecuting Society. It's linked in the further reading for more on this topic. In 1265, Winchester was attacked and looted by Simon de Montfort's son, also named Simon, and the Arca that had all of the recorded debts was destroyed and a lot of people were killed. Licoricia kind of disappears from the records after this and seems to have stepped back from business after the Barons War. And the next time she really makes a splash in the records is when she's found dead. This was a huge deal. People were talking about it for miles around, and the story appears in a German-Jewish chronicle around the same time people assumed it was a robbery. Suzanne Bartlett, who was the historian who has written much of the modern material on Licoricia, doesn't actually say if anything was found taken from the house at the moment the bodies were discovered. After, Licoricia's house was sealed to prevent her stuff from being taken by family or other thieves while the estate was being settled. And her house was broken into after that. And a lot of stuff including records of her debts, was stolen. The sheriff of Hampshire, John of Havering, was arrested for the theft along with two of his associates. Two of Licoricia's grandsons, Abraham and Lombard, Benedict's sons, were also accused of theft, though the charges against all were eventually dropped. We don't know why in the case of Abraham and Lombard, but the sheriff was able to prove that he was in London at the time of the murders. Sheriff John does seem to have been a dubious sort and he was arrested again in 1278 for withholding money from the crown and coin clipping. So this sort of thing seems to have been on brand for him. As for the murder, Licorice's sons Cockrell and Sweetman paid for an inquest and a jury of 18 men assembled. The initial suspects were Robert Lascare, Adam LeSeeler, and John the All three were acquitted. Then a man named Ralph the Saddler was accused, but he fled the area before he could be arrested. People promptly assumed he was guilty, outlawed Ralph, and called it a day. No one ever looked for him very hard, and he was never apprehended elsewhere. Historians aren't very convinced that Ralph was the real culprit, and Assume he was either falsely accused because he was a nobody and who cared, or that he was still falsely accused, but he accepted a bribe and disappeared off into the sunset, tying up everything very neatly. But if it wasn't Ralph, then who did it? Because Licoricia had stepped back from business in the years leading up to her death, It is often speculated that Licorice's murder was related more to her son Benedict than to her personally. Benedict had cultivated quite a ruthless reputation in business, and he was at one time the recipient of some preferential treatment by government officials. He was also the only Jewish guildsman in medieval England and maybe even all of Western medieval Europe. When at the encouragement of the king in 1268, the mayor of Winchester inducted Benedict, quote, the Jew into full society of our liberty as a fellow citizen and guildsman, end quote, a lot of people objected and there was a riot. And a lot of Jewish people were the target of such violence that the king had to step in again and appoint more special protectors of the Jewish people of Winchester. The animosity did not die down. When Edward I took the throne in 1272, he was not a big fan of Benedict, who was getting behind in his taxes and whose self-importance was just out of control, according to some. But a lot of Jewish people did not like Benedict either, because of his tax-collecting role. Eventually, Benedict ended up in the Tower of London on coin-clipping charges, and sometime between 1278 and 1279, he was hanged in London. When Licoricia and Alice were murdered in 1277, it may have been a wrong time, wrong place sort of situation where the killer was looking for Benedict and found them, or a case of, meh, Close enough. Licoricia really may have been the target though, all on her own. All of that theft of debts after her death does show that she was still holding quite a bit and people were eager to get rid of it. This would require them to conveniently forget about the duplicate copy held in the official Winchester arca, but well, you gotta start somewhere. But more to the immediate point of the murder and not the theft that happened after, someone in debt to Licoricia or who had a debt called in and property confiscated for payment may have still been pissed years later. I know I can hold a grudge. I'm sure medieval people were no different. I guess it could have been Muriel, Licoricia's second husband's first wife, Muriel was given one of David's houses in Oxford after the divorce to use until she died. It looks like Muriel ran into some hard times, though, and had to flee Oxford in 1248 because she owed some taxes. She eventually returned to Oxford and she was ordered to repair her house, so it looks like she did go back to living there. By 1253, Licoricia and Sweetman had the house, though. This could be either because Muriel died or because Licoricia was like, you know what? I'm taking it because I can. We don't have records for either thing happening. If she were still alive and without her house in 1277, Muriel may have gone looking for Licoricia. But if we're looking around for broader animosity... Let's not forget all of the religious intolerance that is crescendoing in England in the later 13th century, which will culminate in the expulsion of English Jews in 1290. Ritual murder accusations still happened, and had happened, to Licoricia's immediate family. That was still very likely in the memory of the people of Winchester. And if Licoricia's first husband had not been punished, according to the general expectation of his guilt, people were probably still mad and scared. Mad and scared people can do some really dangerous things. If Licoricia were still associated with money lending in 1277, that's only a year away from the massive arrests and accusations for coin clipping. Not every accusation was manufactured, Sometimes people did do these things, so perhaps it was outrage over illegal activity, or perhaps Licoricia had caught someone trying to hand her some funny money and they panicked. If I had to guess, I'd guess the latter because of all the coin-clipping accusations flying around in the 1270s, Licoricia herself is not mentioned in connection with them. No one really talks much about poor Alice. It is possible that she was the target for some entirely unknown reason or because the murder was inspired by another type of religious intolerance. Someone may have been angry that she, a Christian woman, was employed as a servant to a Jewish woman and was somehow betraying her co-religionists or, at the very least, ignoring church law. But we should remember Alice. I wish I could tell you more about her but the records don't say much. All I can say is that she was from Bicton, which is today called Bighton. It's a village near Alsford in Hampshire, about 10 miles from Winchester. It was not uncommon in medieval England for single women to travel from the countryside to the larger towns like Winchester to work as domestic servants. This was something that young women commonly did to save money for marriage, so probably Alice was in that demographic. I'm not sure if her family came after the fact, or if she did have a family. I hope she did. But I do know that the jury included men from both Winchester and Bicton, so someone cared to make sure her home village was represented. As to who killed Licoricia and Alice, I wish I had a definitive answer for you. And I'm sorry if you were hoping for one, but in medieval history you often get many possibilities and more questions than you started out with. Welcome. Welcome to our club. We're glad you're here. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Footnoting History. I was really excited to talk to you about medieval Jewish women and hope you had a good time with me today. Please remember to check out the further reading for this week's episode to learn more about Licoricia and her world. You can find it on our website, footnotinghistory.com as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts, our Footnoting History merchandise shop, and links to our social media. We're on Twitter as at HistoryFootnote and on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest as Footnoting History. And remember, the best stories are in the footnotes.